Hello there, you are listening to Virtually Legal. So historically, we've spoken about how to break into law. And in this series, we're talking about how to break out of it and what alternative careers might be available to you. This week, I'm joined by Claire Sieber, a mediator who specialises in partnership disputes between doctors. Claire, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Molly. Thanks for having me. Okay, so I think it would be best for our audience if we could start out by describing what a mediator is, because I like to think of it that lawyers start arguments and pour petrol on the fire and mediators try to extinguish those arguments but maybe you could explain it a little bit better yeah no that's a nice way to to think about it actually and i'm glad you asked me to explain it because i often have to explain it to the gps that i'm mediating for so it's nice to know that lawyers sometimes need it explaining too as well um but a mediator is essentially an independent person to a dispute who comes in and helps the parties through lots of techniques to negotiate their own agreement that they come to themselves with a lot of help from the mediator. So mediators don't make decisions, they don't give advice, they don't make any sort of judgments or awards like arbitrators. Uh, We're simply there to help all of the parties sort themselves out and come to their own agreement. Okay, so, so it's not like it's not like you're saying to the parties, this is what's going to happen, you know, I've heard both sides and this is how I see it. It's them coming to an agreement between themselves and you're just you're there to facilitate that. Correct. So nobody nobody needs to prove themselves or try and explain their case to me because it's that's of no relevance. It's all about what what they decide to negotiate between themselves. And and how does that work? Is everyone in a room together? Like because I feel like that could become a bit of a shouting match or what yeah. what's this what's the setup for it so most of the mediations that i do are between um gps or, or doctors that are working in partnership running a business together so they're sort of commercial mediations and often we're agreeing retirements and, and money changing hands um, and those work ones generally work better where we have a quick meeting at the beginning where everyone's together and sort of states their positions and a little bit about what they want and then the rest of the mediation I do by something called shuttling where I go backwards and forwards between the parties who are all in different rooms but if I was doing a more of a workplace mediation maybe between two employees that are doctors or a doctor that's an employee and the other one that's an employer and the, the things that they're wanting to sort out or to do with their working relationship and they want their relationship to continue then I'd do that with a lot more uh, face-to-face same room style of mediation because I suppose those people need to continue working together afterwards so it, it works better to keep them together in the mediation but you're right for the majority of ones that I do other than at the beginning I keep people separate because you can waste a whole eight hours of a mediation arguing in front of the mediator and that's a Mm. a kind of waste of money in a way it's best to get things out of the way quickly and then just get down to the negotiating okay I've I reckon I'd quite fancy being a bit of me and I think in social situations Possibly after a couple of drinks. I think sometimes I assume the role of mediator naturally, <laughs> but I'm guessing it's not something that you can't you can't just take it upon yourself to become a mediator. What what kind of like qualifications do you need? Do you have to do a specific degree? What hoops do you have to jump through besides just being like a self confessed <laughs> like, dictator of situations? 
Well, you know, mediation is a completely unregulated field. So technically, anybody could call themselves a mediator, set up a website and just see if they can, can get some work. But that probably wouldn't work out very well. And you probably wouldn't get much work. It's unregulated. Yeah, that's my understanding. Oh, interesting. So yeah. there's, there's not there's not like governing rules or anything like that. So there's quite a lot of flexibility and like something like arbitration. Yes, exactly. So there are no set rules. Um, there's nobody that you need to have trained with. You don't need to technically have any training at all. There's nobody that need, you need to be registered with who regulates you. Most mediators are registered with the Civil Mediation Council, but not all mediators are. And so when, um, because presumably it's part, it's often part of the like partnership agreement between doctors says in the case of a dispute, we will call upon a mediator to sort this out in the first instance. And then is it is it likely that there would be a kind of process for choosing that mediator and perhaps it would be to go to the the like the body that you just mentioned? Or how does that work? Like how do you get contacted? Mm-hmm. So all of the GPs in, in the UK um, have a, a kind of local representative body that's called the Local Medical Committee. And those local medical committees provide a lot of support and advice for GPs. Pragmatic support is not legal support. And so those they, a partnership in difficulty would normally go to them in the first instance and say, can you help us? And then the LMCs would signpost them on to a mediator or someone else. And that's how I get a lot of my work is actually through LMCs rather than people coming to me directly. Okay, and so going back onto the LMC, because I I know this, but I have the benefit of having spoken to you before this podcast. (laughs) Um, What is your kind of previous relationship with the medical world and how come you specifically focus on like uh, GP partnerships as opposed to just like general mediations? The most important thing there to say is that I'm a GP as well. That's my main job, I suppose. The mediation is just little extra stuff that I I do. Um, And probably have about five years of experience working for a couple of different local medical committees, so delivering that support and advice. And when I was doing that, I realised that I quite enjoyed it. And that was when I decided I wanted to do my GDL. And then towards the end of that, I thought, yeah, I I know what I'm going to do next now. I'm going to get myself trained and accredited as a mediator. So that's the route that I took. Um, And I just stick to this very niche area, I suppose, of partnership disputes for GPs, because that's what I'm comfortable doing. Um, That's what I have all the experience in. Um, I'm credible with other GPs because they know me. Um, I wouldn't like to branch out any further because I don't think I get much work anyway, but also because I don't think I'd feel particularly comfortable mediating those disputes. I quite like to, if you like, uh, pick some low-hanging fruit from a cherry tree that's in my own garden and just stick to that, (laughs) at least for now anyway. That yeah, uh, your your career journey is just like the most overachieving thing I've ever heard of. Like, you usually people <laughs> people have kind of felt like they've achieved enough once they've become a doctor, but you were like, no, 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 I'm going to add lawyer on, and then I'm going to go one step further, and I'm going to combine the two. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
I never, I never set out with that intention, you know, when I turned 18 or whatever and, and left school and went to uni, but that's just how, how things end up. I always just follow what, what I enjoy at the time and, and see where it takes me, and, and I never would have guessed that this is where I'd end up now. Um, but here I am, and I'm sure, I don't know where I'll be in the next five years, but I, I, that's fine with me. I'm quite probably happy Probably an astronaut, probably. <laughs> Um, and so, what? Okay, going back to the point you made about comfortability, how do you think your medical background and obviously you studied the GDL is is the, is any kind of legal background? It's not necessary to become a mediator. You don't need a legal background. But to what extent do you think having the combination of the medical background and the legal knowledge have set you in good stead? And do you think you'd feel comfortable? throwing yourself into something like mediation without having a bit of familiarity with both of those concepts? Yeah, so I think you need the expertise of working in the industry that you're going to mediate for, because one of the mediator's roles is to, I suppose, be a bit creative and help the parties to work out a solution. And if you know mm. nothing about the, the field, then it's, you, you can't always inject a bit of creativity. And often the parties themselves are, st- are struggling to do that and they just don't know what's doable. Um, so that's why it's useful as a GP to be mediating GP partner disputes. Um, and I don't think I would have felt comfortable to do these disputes without having done my GDL just to help me with a little bit of basic drafting, which I do with settlement agreements. Um, I just don't think I would have had the confidence to do that. And the majority of mediations that I do don't have lawyers present, so the drafting of the settlement agreement falls to me as the mediator. And where does your, like, how far does your role extend in terms of uh, like advising the parties on a partnership agreement? Like if they haven't sought legal advice, to what extent are you able to step in and say, you know, this means this for you and, you know, here are kind of like the sh- the strengths of, you know, how this works for you and vice versa? Yeah, so I, I can't do that as a mediator, but I can ask them the question, well, what do you think about the strength of your argument? I'd say about 50% of the parties that I work with have sought legal advice and the other 50% haven't. So it's a big proportion that haven't, and even the ones that yeah. have have engaged a lawyer, sometimes they've just engaged them to write a, a letter for them, and they haven't got advice sort of beyond that about their disputes. So I will often advise people to get legal advice, particularly because in a mediation, when you're negotiating, you know, the whatever the outcome, you want to be able to to know what your alternatives to mediation are, your best alternatives. So what will what will this dispute look like if we carry on down this route that we're going down with the lawyers? How long is it gonna take? How much money is it gonna cost? What are we likely to win? How likely are we to win that? And then when people have that, then that helps them in the mediation to know what what they can accept in a mediation yeah. because everybody's prepared to accept something a bit less for the certainty and the finality of having it all done and dusted on that same day.
And do you think having a career outside of law or a career, you know, before you become a mediator is essential to being a, like, quote, good mediator? And if if so, what what career do you think would help that in your experience? So funny enough, when I was doing my mediation training, I would say that about 80% of the people in the room were lawyers and the, the, the minority weren't. But the, the, the teachers or the trainers said from the very beginning, those of you that aren't lawyers have an immediate head start on everyone that is a lawyer because the lawyers will automatically go into lawyer mode and mm. try and look that up. is a thing we do do we do do that there is some there is a, a switch that gets turned in our brains yeah so the lawyers will start looking at the legal arguments um, <laughs> and it's easier to forget if you're a lawyer that actually the legal arguments don't really have anything to do with a mediation yeah sure if your case is really strong and the other party's case is weak then you you've got more negotiating power but that's as much weight as the legal case has oh that's such a good point i think i'd end up oh maybe i wouldn't be such a good mediator because firstly i'd definitely be handing out legal advice (laughs) (laughs) totally unsolicited legal advice and secondly i think i'd definitely develop a favorite within about two minutes of it starting (laughs) yes yeah you have to try I mean it's very difficult to be completely impartial we've all got our subconscious biases as I'm sure all of your listeners will be aware of but you just have to try your very best to be completely impartial um so I don't know if there's a a particular career a, a particular previous career that makes you a good mediator but I'd say that being a lawyer puts you at a slight kind of disadvantage sure you can overcome that barrier but it's just a slight disadvantage that's interesting i like to i like to think that all of our listeners haven't just dropped off at this point (laughs) (laughs) right sack it in (laughs) not attainable anymore (laughs) do you think it's made you better at arguments in your own personal life (laughs) because i like to imagine that when you have a row with someone now you're like right take a whiteboard Write down what you think your best alternative is to not putting the plates in the dishwasher and I'll come back in five minutes. You know what, I think I'm missing it. I need to get a whiteboard at home, don't I? Because I'm clearly not using my mediation expertise to to the, the fullest. Because no, I don't think it's made me a better... Uh, Maybe better I just take my job arguing. home with me too much. <laughs> I think it's probably made me a better listener. But if I, if I may say, I think... GPs are quite good at listening anyway. I know there's always some that aren't. You know, some of your listeners will be thinking right now, gosh, my GP's terrible at listening. But on the whole, I think GPs are better than the average person at listening. Because that is often what we spend a whole 10 minute appointment doing with patients is listening to them, telling us what the problem is and what they want, ideally what they want us to do about it. And, and okay, so mediation to one side. How did you find it setting up your own business? Because that's quite it's quite like a daunting thing to do. And I think some people are like super predisposed to doing that and taking that risk. But this wasn't something that you started doing that long ago. No, I've only been doing it maybe two or three years now. I suppose I was confident that there was the market out there because it'd already been 
sort of supporting practices in that role I had with the local medical committee. So I knew there was there, there was there were going to be the clients out there, and I knew that the way to market myself would not actually be with them directly, but with with the people that were signpost them to me, like local medical committees, medical legal specialists, um, medical accountants, that kind of thing, um, and I set it up alongside my day job doing the GP work so I never had to worry so much about um, not earning money because I was still earning money as a GP and it took a little while for the work to build up and for my reputation to grow and it's not a problem now um, but it was, it's, it was, I never did it with the intention of it becoming a full-time job although it, it may do um, so the, the, the financial risk wasn't really there for me and how how do you cost it is it is it hourly is it fixed fee if it's fixed fee what do you do in the event that there's some spanner in the works that you hadn't predicted and it's gonna it's gonna develop a whole new arm that's gonna take up loads more time how how does it work functionally yeah. like that so I would have got a lot of information before um we would have officially started so I would be confident that there wouldn't be too many spanners so the obvious spanner that normally gets thrown up with GPs is that there's an, actually another party there's another partner <laughs> that sounds crazy that you might not know who your partners are but it honestly it happens quite a lot or if it's a dispute about the property that the, the surgery is in then there might be some property owner that everybody have forgotten about but there's actually somebody else on the title deed so that's the main spanner that comes in with GPs but I can I can anticipate that fairly fairly early and make sure that that doesn't happen and then I charge a fixed fee uh, and over time if I run over the eight hours which sometimes does happen the last couple of months I've done I've run over time and so on the on the day that it's going on is it like okay the point of today is to walk out of here with an agreement do you think that happens most of the time yeah almost always does but there's absolutely no pressure on anyone to do that and that's the, the beauty of mediation it's this great safe space because it's completely voluntary nobody needs to definitely come in the first place you can walk away at any time with impunity um, you can say whatever you want you can say sorry you can make offers and if nothing happens at the end of it and you don't get anywhere well the slate is wiped clean it's all been confidential and it's all been without prejudice so the the people that i'm helping will come in knowing that they can't make things any worse for themselves and last question what what advice would you give to someone looking to move into mediation? I'd say think carefully about who who you're going to train with. Um, there are lots of mediator mediate train mediation training companies out there. I did mine with CEDA, so the Centre for Effective Dispute Resolution. I'd highly recommend them, but it might depend on. Uh, what industry you're going to be mediating in you should probably check who your competitors have trained with because mm. that will give you an idea of this, the people you'll be competing against because you don't want to go with somebody who's cheap and then realise that actually that has no credibility being yeah, trained with that, that person and you're, exactly um, it's expensive becoming trained as a mediator 
particularly with cedar so you may be able to convince someone perhaps even your current employer to to, to fund it in return for you doing some work with the new skills that you've got for your employer or whoever the sponsor is um, I think it's useful from the outset to have somebody who, who can mentor you uh, because one of the things that you will be doing if you choose to register with the CMC which most commercial mediators are um, you have to have uh, observed mediations as well after you've trained so if you've already got a mentor then you've got somebody who you can then go to after you've been trained to then finish it off so otherwise it could be difficult you do the training which is the kind of easy bit you just can pay some money and do it but then you've got mm. to find somebody to get you those observations and if you've got no sort of network you can then be hanging around for a while after your training waiting to just get these boxes ticked before you can be unleashed into the real world and then once you are working as a mediator it's so important to have a network of like-minded mediators to 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 give peer support to each other because it is it's hard work it can be emotionally quite draining and you get some really interesting things thrown up in mediation it's nice to have a support network where you can debrief almost you know, confidentially of course yeah, debrief in a totally confidential way um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much thank you so much and particularly for all of those practical tips actually at the end that that was really helpful and yeah i i think i will perhaps need to think twice about mediation given what you said about lawyers lawyers earlier but nonetheless it has been really really useful so thank you so much for coming on